0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I want to talk today about the heart of worship. And uh, Cameron has seen me toil and struggle with this because um, I have a few things that you could say about worship. <laughs> and so for me all week it's been, what, what do we narrow down to? Uh, what is really what... Uh, what we can grab hold of this morning. So some of you may know the old song, The Heart of Worship, Matt Redman. Old depending on how you view it. (laughs) But it's not in the last three years, and everything's old after three years. But I just want to start by reading the, the lyrics of that. We don't have them up, Rachel, but I just want to read them. It says, When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I will bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the way and for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. Those were words that were penned by a church that had actually, it's a long story, I'm not going to go into it now, but they had kind of decided to strip away all the show, all the, all the things, all the stuff, and all the traditions, and they said, we're, we're just going to simplify and come back to the heart of this. And so um, today, of course, there's so many things that we could say and do, but I, I really want to stir up today, if I can, a passion for worshiping. Our Creator in the simplicity that He has provided for us. So, would you pray with me this morning, and then we're just going to dig in. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are a good, good Father and that you long for intimacy with your children. I pray today as we come together again as a church, I pray, God, that you would draw our hearts, that you would woo us into your presence, into um, your courts, Lord, so that we could feel and sense the very heartbeat of you, which is that you long relationship with your children we thank you for this morning and we give you all the praise in jesus name amen well for the church at large um when we say worship for many it's become synonymous with just singing it's what we do for you know a portion Of our service it's that time dedicated to singing songs or doing something but it's so much more than that Um, that's just one way that that worship expresses itself true worship really is defined by the importance of god in our daily lives Plain and simple, because worship, and the worship team hears me say this all the time, they're probably sick and tired of me, but I say worship is not just music. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is the way we live. Worship is the way we relate. Worship is the way that we choose to live our lives. And worship is the way that we choose to either include or not include God in our lives. Worship is how we express our love, our passion, and our adoration, and our wonder at God's presence. I say it this way, the Christian breathes in God's goodness and exhales worship. Because when we truly see how good God is, there's no better response than to just worship Him. I believe that true worship happens when our entire life becomes a declaration of trust, In God's incredible mercy. It overflows. Oh, oh, I can't speak. Overflows? (laughs) It's okay. Cameron has not been able to speak all week since our vacation, so I'll blame it on him. Um, But uh, it overflows from a heart that is surrendered to Christ. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice in this verse that he says, present yourself holy and acceptable. He's, saying, he's not saying, just come sloppy and whatever. He's saying, come to me, present your bodies as a sacrifice to me, holy and acceptable, because that is spiritual worship. I desire for you to come to me, I desire, but there's something called sin that separates us from God. And so he's saying, when you come to me, you need to understand that I'm drawing you to me. And the closer you come to God, the more he actually strips away. Like that song said, when all is stripped away, I simply come and he just wants your heart. He wants you to come. And the closer we come to God, the more we become like him. That's just the way it is. So the closer we get to him, the more we let go of those things that actually really don't matter. See, worship is is the way in which we choose to live. And can I say this? Everyone in the world is worshiping something right now. Everyone is worshiping something in this world because God created us with a void within. It actually says in Ecclesiastes that he has placed eternity in our hearts, and so he has placed this little void inside our hearts, and it's literally... a. a little thing called eternity, and it woos and it longs to actually reach our Creator. So everybody is created that way, that we actually long to worship something. And, and sometimes we're unaware, and we worship all sorts of things, but God desires for us to worship Him and Him alone. And for many people, worship amounts only to spiritual junk food. But when we truly learn to worship in lifestyle not just worship in on a sunday morning for you know x amount of minutes but when we truly live our lives uh, as paul said like living sacrifice is totally unacceptable that that spiritual worship guess what starts to happen the world around us will start seeing the very thing that they have a void for and they'll start looking at that and they'll start going i'm tired of being hungry i'm tired of always seeking and whatever you have i want it And so when we truly start to worship, not only does it bless us, but it blesses those around us because all of a sudden they realize that worship is very attractive. Worship and what we have when we present ourselves as living spiritual sacrifices, they start to see that there is something that can actually satisfy the void within, the hunger that they can't even put their finger on. So worship doesn't just bless the heart of God. Worship doesn't just bless us, but worship actually affects Those around us. When we talk about worship, we can talk about so many things. We can talk about the forms of worship. We can talk about the tradition of worship, the definitions of worship. But I really just want to simplify today and say I want to get to the heart, the heart of worship. I believe the heart of worship is about restoring true intimacy with God. When he created humans, think about this, he created us to walk in unhindered fellowship with him. And it's only because of sin that that fellowship was actually broken. But his desire is to have unhindered relationship with us not just because we as humans need relationship with him, but because he actually desires relationship with us. It's an open invitation and it's there for everybody. In the Old Testament, it was actually quite restricted who could worship, when they could worship, and what they could do. But when Jesus came, and I'm going to touch on that later, he actually made a way so that everybody at all times can come right into the presence of God, holy and acceptable to him. Think about it, we have a God who is all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, yet he has chosen to live his life through relationship with us. That's really mind-blowing. When we truly understand what that means, it starts to change the way we live and the way we think of this subject called worship one day when um, every week we send out these worship emails to the team and, and we usually write a little blurb and so one day a few months ago I was um, I was starting to write my little email for the week and I I said oh I can't wait to see what God has in store for us this week and you know I wrote on my little email and immediately I felt like God spoke to me and he said actually Sandra I can't wait to see what you have in store for me this week and I kinda of went oh oh yeah right. So I went, delete. (laughs) And then I'm like, so team, I just wanted to say God can't wait to see (laughs) what we have in store for him this week. But can you imagine if we all came in to our corporate worship times going, God, I can't wait. You're going to be so blessed. You're going to be just mind, it's going to be mind-blowing when you see your people surrender themselves in worship, in an adoration, letting go of their junk and of their stuff and of their hindrances. And we're just going to come and we're just going to bless your heart. That's what worship is. Can I say, that's the heart of worship. The heart of worship is not about me. So many times in church we've misunderstood it and people come up and they say, oh, you know, worship was good today. And I, I appreciate that and please keep encouraging one another. That's a, that's a great thought. But can I say, worship actually has very little to do with what happens here. We are here, and, and the team knows, I call us lead worshipers rather than worship leaders. We're just put here to make way, to open up the gates, to say let's go are you ready come on but you know when worship is good can i mess with our are you guys okay this morning you're like can i define good worship for you when you worship that's good worship it's when we worship That's the definition. Now, we can help it and make it and break it over here. You know, we play all the wrong notes and all the wrong things, and that's a little distracting. Um, So we have a part to play. But as a church, worship is good when we worship. As a believer, when I am at home, worship is good when I worship. Worship is not good when I turn on the right song or tune in to the right station. Worship is good when I surrender my heart and I say, God, I don't care what's going on today, but I know that you are worthy. Some of the greatest worship times I've ever had in my entire life has been with just me and God. But I love this. This is like my favorite time, of course, is when we can be together. But I truly believe that God is longing for us to grasp that all he wants is a surrendered heart. I want to just share um, four perspectives that just help bring us back to that heart of worship. Excuse me, worship. The first one is this. Worship is eternal. It's not temporal. Worship is something uh, that really what we do here is a practice for what we're going to do for all eternity. Um, Someday, worship will be an integral part of our everyday existence, not just a portion of what we do. It will, be, it will no longer be just an activity that comes from faith, but it will be a natural response of just being in his presence. It says everyone that has had an encounter, written books about it, they all say when they saw him, they fell down and worshipped. There's no other response that when we start to truly see who God is, we exhale worship because of who he is. And the closer we get to him, the more his presence and his power and his attributes and he, who he is just permeates our being, and all we can do is say, Jesus, I love you. You're awesome. You're indescribable. You're amazing. It's the heart of worship. Revelation 4, verse 8 to 11, paints a little picture. It's the Apostle John. He's on an island. He has this revelation, sees literally a little glimpse of heaven. God shows him a little picture of what goes on in the throne room of God. Every single day. Listen to this description. He sees each four of the living creatures, these are angels, had six wings and was covered with ice all around. Kind of creepy, but hey, we'll take it. Even under its wings. So talk about ever seeing, um, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being here's a snippet of eternity it's what you and I will be doing for the rest of our existence so why not get started now because that's the good news is we don't actually have to wait till then he says you can have a piece of heaven here and now and you can actually integrate that into your life and you can be part of what goes on in heaven we've had some awesome worship times together and through my life i've had times where i know that i know that i know that we are not alone in the room may sound strange to some of you but i know there's been worship times where you feel a lift you feel there's something in the room and i believe with all my heart that there's been times where angels have lined this room and together we're saying holy 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 is the lord god almighty because you are worthy and you created all things and together we are literally joining with the heavenlies and we're bringing glory and praise right into the throne room of god so don't ever diminish our times together as a song that we sing we actually tap into eternity and we see a glimpse of heaven and not only are we tasting a little bit of heaven, but we are literally pulling down the atmosphere of heaven into earth. Do you know what that means? It means that all of a sudden there's miracles in the air. All of a sudden there's healing in the air. There's restoration available. Every time we worship, we pull down heaven, eternity, here and now. Bethel came out with this great quote, and I love it. It says, heaven is not just a destination. It's the reality of his kingdom now. That's what it is. The Bible actually says that we are God's temple. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 to 20. It says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. When Jesus died on the cross, he actually paid the price so that we could become the temple of God. And he says, Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. He's saying the moment you surrender your life to Christ, you are no longer your own. You don't live for yourself. He paid a very high price on that cross so that you actually become his. And so he says, Don't forget that you are the temple. See, the reason that everything we do can be an act of worship is because God made each of us a temple that he dwells in through the Holy Spirit. And when we become aware of that, every day actually becomes sacred. Everything that we do becomes sacred because we realize that we are carriers of God's Presence. Now, what's interesting for those of you who know me, you know I like to study Greek and Hebrew and original languages. And in this verse, when it says, "Do you not know that your te- your body is the temple?" That word "temple" in the New Testament there's two different words used for it. There's one word that's called "hieron" in Greek. I'm sure you're going to remember that for eternity. Um, but it literally means temple. So if you think of the old temple with the courtyard and the outer yard and the, the inner court and the furnishings and the sacri- places of sacrifice and this and that and the table of showbread and the Holy of Holies, and I lost most of you already. Um, I was going to put up a picture, but I'm like, nah, I'll just ramble. Um, Meh, as the emoji movie, is said meh. Um, but um, you like that one, Carly? Um, uh, but she has no meh. She's, she's the happy one. She's the happy emoji all the time. Um, but uh, so one word used for temple, translated into English temple, is just the physical place. But then there's another Greek word called neos. And neos is translated temple in English. But guess what it means it means the holy of holies it actually secludes all the other stuff all the furnishings the outer court all the the stuff that was there and when this word is translated temple in english it's using the greek word naos now for the jewish believers they understood what that meant it meant that place that we can't go to it's where god actually lives It is where he dwells. It was actually curtained off, and people couldn't even go near it because uh, it was, anyhow, long rituals to even get near it, and most people in their lifetime, even if they were a high priest, usually never got in there. So when Paul says in this letter, you are the naos of the Holy Spirit, it's mind-blowing to think that he has now done away with all the stuff All the forms, all the rituals. And it says that when Jesus hung on that cross, the very thing that God did, as soon as Jesus drew his last breath, it says that the earth shook and the sky went dark. But what happened inside the temple is that the veil that was separating people from God's presence tore from top to bottom. And God made a way and opened up the way and said, come on in. This is what I've always desired now that my son has finally died for all those sins and we no longer need the rituals. We no longer need the sacrifices. We no longer need all this stuff. I'm going to open up the way and bring you back to my original intent, which was unhindered fellowship with me. I have made you the naos of God. So honor God with your body and with your spirit. Honor him by living in a way that pleases him. Honor him by not making his sacrifice nothing. But honor him by actually entering into that place of worship. That place of fellowship with him. Rabbi Zacharias, amazing speaker, said this, There's no unique postures and times and limitations that restrict our access to God. My relationship with God is intimate and personal. The Christian does not go to the temple to worship. The Christian takes the temple with him or her. Jesus lifts us beyond the building and pays the human body the highest compliment by making it his dwelling place, the place where he meets with us. We are the naos, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But can I say this? Many times in church... We come, we say, God, you are welcome in this place. And then we're like, thanks for coming. All right, on to the next thing, right? And so what we do in reality many times is we actually invite him to have a visit. And visitations are great, don't take me wrong. Visitations are awesome. They've happened throughout human history where God comes and visits his people. But I want to challenge us as a church this morning. Can we go beyond making a place of visitation for God? And can we allow a place of habitation? Because God actually says that he inhabits the praises of his people. God likes visitations. But you know, he doesn't just want visiting hours with his kids. He wants full custody. Yeah. And so why don't we make a place of habitation where he can come and where he can dwell and where he can work and where he can actually show the world through us who he really is. Yeah. So many times we've misrepresented him by this dull, boring, and please don't be offended with this, but this boring way of living. Whereas what God has called us to is an exciting, spirit-filled, incredible, mind-blowing, earth-shaking relationship with him. And you can be it. Tag. You're it. Go out and be the temple of God. It's not about coming and waiting for a worship leader to pump us up. It's about coming and saying, God, I'm ready. Today, I am ready for you. I'm ready for you to come and transform my life. Would you heal me? Would you forgive me? Would you save me? Whatever it is that you need to do. But would you come and transform my life so that I can be a worthy carrier of your presence so that the world no longer needs to hunger and seek in places that they should not be seeking? Do you realize that people are seeking all the wrong things because we're not there to show them the right thing? So when we start living, I'm sorry, I, I'm kind of I tend to get a little passionate about this subject. But when we start living the way that God created us to live, then all of a sudden people don't need to run to all the wrong things. They don't know what to seek. And it's existed for eternity when Paul walked around Athens, he was looking at all the different gods that they worshipped and then he came to this one altar and it said to the unknown god. Cuz they're like, "Well, we worship" This God, and that God, and that God, and that God. But then there's this, this thing, and we don't really know. We can't really put our finger on it, but we, we worship the thing. So we're going to raise up an altar to this thing and call it the unknown God? Maybe, maybe that's it. If we worship the unknown God, maybe we'll feel something. So Paul actually boldly walks in, and he says, Oh, I see all your altars. Very impressive, very impressive. Oh, nicely done. Nice. Hey, can I tell you about this one? I know what you're seeking. Let me tell you who this unknown God is. And all of a sudden he starts putting words to what it is that their hearts are longing for, their spirits are hunger for, that they are seeking. Can I tell you that you and I need to be like Paul in our day and we need to walk out there in the world and, can, and say, can I tell you what it is that you're seeking? Can I tell you who it is that you're trying to worship? This unknown God that you can't verbalize. Would you come with me and let me tell you of a God who loves you so intimately that he laid his life down so that there was no more separation that kept us at arm's length. But now you can come in. I've tasted and I've seen that God is good. And I can say just like the apostles, I can't help it but to tell of the wondrous works of our God. So let's not reduce worship to a song or to a moment of music. Like God, the all-consuming fire that came when Moses met with him in that bush that wasn't burning up. It's the same fire, and it comes, but it doesn't burn us up. It just puts us on fire so that we can actually have something to offer and so that we can light up the dark places. That's who he is in us. When people say, oh, I don't know about religion. It's kind of boring. I'm like, yeah, I agree. Religion is so boring, so let's skip religion and go back to relationship that God created us to have. That is worship. Now, I have no idea where I am in my notes. Oh, unusual worship services. Do you want to hear a couple? Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament. This is an unusual worship service. So they're facing three armies. They are about to be annihilated. They have a very small army compared to the three armies. And so uh, King Jehoshaphat is like, I have a great idea. Let's send the worshipers first. (laughs) Let's put them in front of the army. It's actually what he did. He says, let's put them in front of the army. And it says that they're like, God, give praise to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. For he is good; he is above all things. His love endures forever, and I'm gonna see forever very soon. Um, you know, so they're going up against this incredible um, battle with worshippers, unarmed, first. And they are literally—that's—that's that's actually the song that I just sang was taken from that passage. That's what they sang. That's what they declared. God is good. We're about to die, but God is good, and his love endures forever. That's a good thing, cause I'll be with him, right? And so they're worshiping their way up, it says, up this hill. So they reach the top of this hill. Talk about unusual worship service. They get to the top of the hill, they look out, and all three nations are completely annihilated. God somehow, in the midst of their worship, was so pleased that he just happened to confuse them all, and they all killed each other. So when they got up there, they're like, well, that was an easy battle. That's an unusual worship service. Think about when David played the harp, Saul was harassed by an evil spirit. And every time he was, he said, could you bring that that young boy, the shepherd boy that plays the harp? Because it's the only thing that will soothe my soul. And every time David played, the presence of God would enter the room. And can I say that evil can't stay when the presence of God is there. And so what happened is it literally would leave. And so when we worship, we need to understand that God can do supernatural, unusual things. Then think about the dedication of the temple, of Solomon's temple. Then they came and finally it was done and built. And so they're inviting now God's presence. There are 600 trumpeters. That's very impressive. Uh, And there's all these singers and all these people standing. And they're literally worshiping and bringing glory to God. And the presence of God comes down in such a heavy way that they can't physically stand up. They're literally like, whoa. That's an unusual worship service. Think about Paul and Silas. This is probably one of my favorite stories in Acts chapter 16. They've been beaten. They've been flogged. They've been told to not ever speak the name of Jesus again. And they are probably bleeding out. They're tired. It's midnight. It's not... 5 p.m. after they had dinner, it's midnight after they've been beaten and flogged, and they're sitting there, and instead of sitting there, and like many of us would do, we would start talking about, this is so unfair, I can't believe it, all we were trying to do is to serve Jesus, and here we are, we're beaten, we're flogged, and where's all the other disciples, why aren't they here, and they ran away, (laughs) I'm sure none of you would ever talk like that, but they had that option, and they had legitimate reason to be upset, they really did. But instead, they make this choice that I think they put in the Bible just so that we would see that there is a God who is good no matter what. So think of your worst day ever, and I can assure you that it probably didn't come close. So instead, at midnight, they said, I can, I can imagine the role play between the three of them. Hey, Silas, yeah. Want to go for it? Yeah. Should we? No. Wanna do it anyways? Yeah Can you imagine? Give thanks to our Lord, our God and King. Slavengers forever. And they're probably chained and all well, they were chained and all this, but they start to sing and praise and glorify God who is on high, who is still in control, even though they're in chains. They said it doesn't matter because our God is good. And if it's the last thing we do, we are going to declare it so that these prisoners hear that there is a God who is there for you even in the depths of despair. And you know what happens? the ground starts shaking. I'm telling you right now, if you come expecting great things in worship, there's no limits to what God can do. He literally sends an earthquake that is so specific. I've often been very fascinated by this earthquake. It is so specific that it shakes the ground and breaks open all their chains. And literally, it says that all their chains fell off. Can I tell you this morning that I'm believing for worship times when we come together? You can have them by yourself, but I tell you, when we come together, it's exponential what God can do. I'm believing for ground shaking, chain breaking worship times when we come together. And there's no limits except our faith. So I'm in. <laughs> And I invite you as well. I know we spoke this over little Avery, but I love this phrase. I'm going to steal it, and I'm sorry. It's hers, but it's ours too. When we spoke over, her, we felt like God was saying that we need to not just bring people to heaven, but we need to bring heaven to people. That is what the heart of worship is all about. And I'm out of time. Oh, well. You know what i'm going to skip that whole next thing rachel and we're going to go to the third thing that says worship is unhindered i just want to share something with you that i came across that i thought was so incredibly interesting uh one of the first and best examples that people think of when they talk about worship is king david who was a worshiper who wrote most of the book of psalms and uh You may or may not know the story, but the Ark had been lost for a very long time away from the nation of Israel. So David went on this quest to find the Ark of the Covenant, who was what represented where the Spirit of God, where the uh, presence of God actually dwelt. When he came back to Jerusalem, David simply lost control of himself, and he was so undignified that he danced, it says, with all his might, and he couldn't help himself because he was so happy to finally have restored the presence of God to Israel. Now, his wife, Michal, was sitting and looking out the window, and she was all disgusted with him. You know those times where you're like, I don't know, that kind of looks weird? Well, that was her. She's like, I don't like the way you did that. Well, you know, it's never happened in church life, I know. Um, But but that's what would happen. You know what happened to her? Uh, Unfortunately, she was barren for the rest of her life. But think about this. In those times, that was the worth and value of a woman. In those times. That's what they lived for. That was a very harsh thing. But I, I felt like God spoke to me this week and he said, but so many Christians live like that. They still exist, but not the existence they were meant for. Because they can't grasp the unhindered, sometimes even undignified. I'm not talking about disorderly. But I'm talking about sometimes when God comes and touches you at the core of your being and who you are, you cannot help it by just expressing things. Can I say this? Sometimes we get so caught up on the forms of worship and what we do and what we shouldn't do and what tradition says and what tradition doesn't say. Can I tell you that standing, kneeling, singing, lifting your hands, shouting, spinning, those are all just biblical definitions of what worship should look like. But if they become just a form, then they're as empty as anything else. God is after the heart of worship. And when he captures our heart, there's times that the worship team jokes with me because they're like, we need to like, put mats down here. Because there's times that I'm like, oh, can I jump any higher? Can I reach any further? Can I? I just want to connect with God. And can I tell you, it doesn't matter. If you're too distracted looking at someone else, then your focus needs to shift back to you and God. Now, I'm not talking disorderly because there's things that we need to bring. God is a God of order and freedom. So hear my heart with that. But allow God to not just touch your intellect. Allow God to touch your heart. And I want to end with this thought. In Acts chapter 15, verse 16, God plops in this very interesting verse. It says, After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up. There's three different dwelling places in the Old Testament. There was the Tabernacle of Moses that traveled with them in the desert. There was the other one that we know of. is the Temple of Solomon whose one wall still stands in Jerusalem. It was a magnificent temple. People have traveled from all over the world throughout times to see this magnificent table, but, uh, temple. But then there was this one place called the Tabernacle of David. And when you study what those things really are, the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon were actually very similar, just that one had permanent structure and one were portable, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Just saying. Um, (laughs) But, uh, Lord, we want the temple of Solomon. Um, No, we don't. We actually want the tabernacle of David, and I'm going to tell you why. In both those other structures, there was gates, there was rituals, there were ways that you had to go through, even as a person, you could only come in if you were an Israelite. If you weren't a Jew, you couldn't actually come into the outer court. There's a lot of things that had to happen for you even to make it into the outer court. Only the priests ever made it into the inner court, and only one priest once a year, high priest, possibly once in his lifetime, came into the inner, inner, of, Holy of Holies, which was the inner part of the inner court, which was the naos. But when David brought the... the ark, the presence of God, back to Jerusalem. He said, I I need to make a dwelling place. I need to set up some kind of spot where God can be worshipped. So he actually went to God and he said, can I build you a temple? And God said, that's for your son. It's not for you. So what David did is he set up something called the Tabernacle of David. And it was a simple tent. And in the midst of the tent was the Ark of the Covenant. And there was no veil. I never caught this before, but they actually didn't have an outer court and an inner court. It was literally just the Ark of the Covenant. And for 36 years, David stationed worshipers to be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with no hindrance, no veil, no sacrifice, nothing. So, anytime you peeked through the curtain of the temple, you could see, it actually says there was a flame in between the cherubim. You could see the presence of God. And the only thing that I believe was hindering that sight would have been hands lifted up. And for 36 years straight, I'm talking around the clock, the tabernacle of David was stationed in Jerusalem. And God said, that's What I want to build up. Why didn't he say I want to build a temple according to the splendor of Solomon? No, he said, I want to rebuild the tabernacle of David because I want to restore the passion of 24-7 true unhindered worship and fellowship with myself. That's what I desire to do. And it's a promise in the book of Acts, that's New Testament church, that says I'm going to restore that. I'm going to restore a rebirth of the passion that David had. For the presence of God. See, I think so many times as Christians, and I, I am going to end. What a famous statement. <laughs> I'm closing with this. Yeah, that means nothing. Um, <laughs> but, but, but so many times, uh, just being honest. Um, But so many times, people have become so caught up in chasing the experience rather than running after the person. Experiences take many ways, shapes, and forms, and that's all right. But I want the heart of God, and He wants your heart. It's about coming back to the heart of worship, which His heart is only about restoring true, intimate, unhindered fellowship with His kids. Blessing will come as a result. I said it this way, intimacy will bring about blessing. But the pursuit of blessing will not always bring about intimacy. True worship is when we worship to bless God's heart, not to move his hand. When we bless his heart, his hand moves as a result. True worship is about being transformed. I'm going to read one last verse to you, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Can I say this? Who you behold is who you become. And who you become is who release. So when we're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we become a perfect image, a perfect representation to the world of the heartbeat of a good, good father that longs for nothing less than to restore his children to true unhindered worship.